0: All right, Fielder family, how's everyone doing? Hey, I can't help it, guys. We're, hey, we're ne- You're never gonna let... I was so getting so pumped up and excited. I was trying not to lose my voice before the sermon. Uh, but man, it's so good to be here with you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Dave, and I am a church planter uh, and a pastor of Icon Church. We're planting Icon Church out in the Plano area. Um, now, before I move on and talk about you know, some other things. Uh, one thing I want to note about Icon Church is this. Some people are like, why are you naming your church Icon? Are you trying to be like a pop star or something like that? Like, like no. Let's just make it that clear. That's not our goal. An icon is a picture or a symbol that represents something greater than itself. And so our heart, our prayer is that Icon Church, our church would be a picture of heaven in our city. You know, Revelation 7 talks about every nation, every tongue, every tribe united together as one new people in Jesus Christ. And that's our heart cry, guys. That's what we want to be about. And I thank you that you are modeling for us, for Icon Church, what that looks like here. I'm so grateful for you guys. So if you uh, could pray for us that that's what would happen, that, that, man, that would be amazing. And also, if you want to come alongside us in any way, I want to invite you to do that. You can check out our website, iconchurch.net. Or after service, I would be honored to meet with you and talk. Uh, But either way, just grateful for the Fielder family. Uh, All right, Uh, with that being said, I want to first introduce my family to y'all. So if you can put up the picture on the slides there. All right, so uh, this is my family. Uh, They say behind a good man, there's a greater, way greater, in my case, woman. And that's Lynn for me, so I've been blessed by my amazing wife, Lynn, and together we have three kids. We have Gabriel, who's 10, uh, Eliana, or Chloe, who's 6, and Eliana, who's 4. Actually, Gabriel's here today, as, as well as my other uh, ICON family members here. So, hey, Fielder, can you help me welcome I, our ICON family today? I had a brother earlier go, hey, so your, your son willingly, like, volitionally said he wants to sit through your... Not one, two, uh, <laughs> two times of you preaching. And he was like, yeah, so uh, grateful for Gabriel. <laughs> All right, so, so my family. Uh, some of you guys, let's backtrack a little bit. In the summer of 2020, uh, my family and I made a faith-filled decision. Uh, I was working at another church as a multi-site lead pastor uh, of, a, of a campus uh, and we, for years, had felt the stir from God to plant Icon Church. And there was an opportunity for us to go into church planting, but here was a catch. That church planting residency that we were about to move into was a non-paid residency. Meaning this, that I would be leading my family from a salaried position with health, health insurance to a no-salaried position where we're living completely by faith. Some of you guys can imagine what I must have been thinking or what I must have been feeling as uh, for my family, right? That we were, during COVID y'all, we're going to go straight into financial inst- instability and into the red, right? But thank God for my wife. My wife was like, what are you worried about? When has God ever let us down? And so we did, we moved into that transition together and for a while it was going well. We had some savings and so things were working out. But one day, while my wife was changing Eliana's, our youngest, diaper, uh, we found out that one of her legs was, had swollen up to twice its normal size. And so we rushed her to the ER, and we found out that our youngest had caught sepsis, which is an infection of the blood. And that she would need two surgeries and need to be in the hospital, originally they said a week, now, here's, here's, here's the catch. All this is happening right now while I don't have health insurance. Like, the irony is that when you have health insurance, nothing like that seems to happen. But the moment that we transition, you know, in faith, then we have the biggest health scare crisis right in our family. And so we're in that. And I got to tell you, like, when, if something is happening to me, I'm like, okay. But when it's happening to your youngest child. And that's happening when you don't have the means, like you know that bill is gonna be way more than you have. Like you can't help in that moment to start doubting. Like I started to ask God, like God, we're here for you. Like we're here for your kingdom. We're trying to obey you. We're trying to follow you. How could you let this happen to us now? How could you let this go down now? Have any of you in your, in your lives Like, can any of you here resonate with that? Like, you're trying to obey Jesus. You're trying to do what he's called you to do. You're trying to be faithful to him. And and you're moving forward. You're taking those initial steps only to have life come at you. Only to have opposition come at you. Trials come at you. Challenges that you never expected come at you. Medical bills come at you. Can any of you resonate? Let me ask... Have you ever experienced opposition while trying to obey God? Have any of you experienced opposition while trying to obey God? The title of the sermon today is When Your Obedience Meets Opposition. When your obedience meets opposition. And today I want to talk mostly about three kinds of opposition you will inevitably face as you're trying to obey Jesus Christ. So we'll spend most of our time looking at that through the text, continuing in our study of Exodus. And then real quickly, we want to talk about what you do when you experience that opposition. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 1. As you're going there, I'm going to set the context a little bit for us. Chapter 4. Real, real briefly, chapter 4, Moses and Aaron, after they were called by God, had gone to the Israelites. They have done signs. They had told the Israelites, hey, we're on this mission. God sent us. And everyone's like, yo, let's go. And they're, they're all bought in, right? And so they're hyped. They're excited, right? They are, they are feeling good about themselves. Hey, this is going pretty smooth. Like, I'm obeying God. And things are working out, right? And so they're confident. Now, with, with that in mind, let's read verse 1. Afterwards... Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's my best Charlton Heston impersonation, y'all, for those of you, uh, you know, who watch Ten Commandments. I grew up, I I watched that. That was a good movie. That was a good movie. Ramsey, you know, all that, right? But my generation, y'all, for some of you who are younger, you guys know Prince of Egypt. Right, there can be miracles when you believe. Hey, that's my jam, y'all. That's my you go to karaoke with me, we're gonna sing that. All right, but (laughs) come back, come back, let's bring it back. All right, so uh, but so they're they're confident, right? That's when you watch those movies, like Let My People Go, they're they're pretty confident, right? They're coming out swinging, they're coming out with swagger. But let's see, let's see how Pharaoh responds. Verse two, but Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So he starts with this question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Now be fair to Pharaoh, like Pharaoh legit did not know who the Lord was because the Lord had just revealed his name in chapter three, right? But here's, get this, this question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, that question is going to echo throughout the book of Exodus, all throughout the book. Why? Because the Lord's about to show them who, exactly who he is. And I want to tell you, church, the same question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice, that question echoes to us in our time today. If I ask you today, who, who, who is the Lord to you? Do you know him? What would you say? What would you say? Who is the Lord to you? The Lord wants to show you who he is. Let's continue on in the story, though. So Pharaoh says, I don't know this, Lord. And so I'm not going to let these people go. And so he chooses to rebel against the Lord's command. And let's continue in verse 3. Then they, this is Moses and Aaron, said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, please let us go a three days journey with into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Notice in the beginning, Moses and Aaron, are, they're, they're, they're confident, right? They got that swagger. They come out swinging, right? They're going, let my people go. And now they're going, please, Pharaoh, please let us go. If you don't let us go, the Lord is going to hurt us. He's going to punish us. You see how quickly the tone shifted. Right? Mike Tyson has that saying that, hey, anyone can come in with a plan, but as soon as you get punched in the mouth, what? Right? I I, I totally butchered that quote, but you guys guys get what I'm saying. Right? Anyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. That's what we see here. Their tone changed completely. They start looking for sympathy from God. But looking at this, man, we can relate, right? We can also come out with overconfidence. And then quickly, opposition occurs, things get hard, and we qu- quickly go from confidence to shrieking back in fear. When's the last time you try to share your faith with somebody and, and come, at first you're like, man, I pr- I'm prayed up, I'm ready to go, God, and you go confident, only to have some pushback happen, and quickly, you start feeling afraid, you start even apologizing for your faith. Maybe, maybe that's some of you, Right? Let's continue in the story and bear with me. This is a large part of the text. We're doing 23 verses, y'all, today, all right? And so uh, if you have your Bibles, please look with me, all right? Uh, Verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land, in other words, these peasants, right, are now many. And you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cried, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavy your work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Verse 10. So the taskmaster and the foreman of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you will find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. Verse 12. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather a stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday in the past? So let's let's recap this a little bit, right? So Pharaoh first says, I'm not gonna let these people go, Moses. He chooses to rebel against God. And then right afterwards, what does he do? He turns around in his rebellion. And decides to punish the Israelites. And the the reasoning he says this is, man, these Israelites are so, they want to go worship because they're lazy. They want to go worship because they got nothing else to do. So let's give them more work. Have you ever been asked that? You're you're lazy, that's why you want to go to God. You got too much time, that's why you want to go worship. It, It doesn't work that way, does it? In this case, what we see here is that Pharaoh's rebellion, what he, his actions don't just hurt his relationship with God. His actions hurts the people around him. His actions, in this case, hurt, hurts the Israelites. This is what we gotta understand about the nature of sin. We think when we sin that it's just between me and God, but that's not the truth. Our sin, our rebellion, our disobedience to God hurts others. It hurts the people in our lives. I can't tell you how many times I'm heartbroken looking at news articles or media where we have children, innocent children, who were hurt, who were even killed because of the sins of their parents. Guys, sins are not just about me and God. It it also impacts everybody else around us. They have a consequence to them. And so here we see that Pharaoh's rebellion hurts the Israelites. It says in the text that they end up having to go around looking for stubble, which are scraps. In other words, all the straw have already been taken. All they have left is these, these leftover pieces. And so they're going around all the land scavenging around to gather the straw so that hopefully they can do the same amount of work that was uh, given to them as before. In other words, this was an impossible task. Sometimes when you're trying to obey God, you're going to feel like you, you just died right into an impossible situation. There's going to be situations that happen that make you wonder, man, how is this ever going to happen? How is this ever going to work out? That's what we see here in the text. All this, guys, brings us to our first kind of opposition. And that opposition is this. Get this. Our obedience to God will meet opposition from the enemy. It will meet opposition from the enemy. Now, for us today, we don't necessarily have a pharaoh to contend with, right? But all of us here in this room, we share a common enemy, and that enemy is our spiritual enemy. The devil the fo- and his minions, right? All of us have a spiritual enemy. You guys notice when you try to obey God, things tend to get a little harder, not easier. Let me see if I can make this plain. Is there anyone in this, room? you don't have to raise your hands, but is there anyone in this room that were like, you know what, I feel like God's calling me to give and be generous. I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start giving offering. And then like you do, that first one you do, and then the month after you get hit with the biggest bill in your life. And you're quickly wondering, man, did I make a mistake giving to the Lord? Is this good stewardship, right? Is this what God would want? It got real quiet in this room. (laughs) <laughs> i talked about that, right? Or for others of you, you're trying to work on your ma- marriage, you're trying to be a better spouse, only to have the biggest fight ever happen in your marriage the next day. Or you try to love somebody like Jesus, and then you feel like they're quickly taking advantage of you. Or, or maybe this you commit yourself to spending time in prayer and in God's word daily. And then only to have, you know, work only escalate, get, you get busier and busier and mornings get really rough and you can't wake up. You guys notice that when you try to obey God, things don't necessarily get easier, they tend to get harder. Why is that? Is it possible? Let me ask you, is it, is it possible that the opposition you are experiencing as you're trying to obey God is a confirmation of the obedience rather than evidence against it? Is it possible that this exact opposition you're experiencing is actually a confirmation that you are actually doing the right thing? When my launch team and I, when ICON launched, we started planning this church and we started gathering and, and started to really commit and move forward. We found out that things did not get easier for us, they got harder. I can't tell, me, tell you how many conversations I had where people were struggling, you know, they were, again, financially, health crisis, marriage, right? They were getting more temptations coming at them. This thing started to get harder and harder to the point where, man, I wasn't sure what to do. I wasn't sure how to handle this. And, I, again, I was starting to kind of question. And so I went to one of our, my church planting mentors and I asked him, I was like, hey, is this, is this normal? Like, is this, like, what, do I, what am I doing here? What did I do wrong? And what he told me is this, Dave, church planting is spiritual warfare. Church planting is spiritual warfare. You see, church planting is an invasion of the enemy's territory, he doesn't like it. And so as soon as you take that decision to try to obey God and go into church planting, you you get a big old target on your back and he's coming after you with everything he's got. But be encouraged because his opposition is only a confirmation that you're going the right way. There are some of you in this room today that's discouraged because you've been facing opposition while trying to obey God. What I wanna tell you is that this opposition you're experiencing is because you have a big old target on your back. The, The enemy is coming after you because you're making him nervous. But take heart, be encouraged. The opposition is only a confirmation for you that you're going the right way. Come on somebody, amen. All right, so first point, our obedience to God will meet opposition from the enemy. Second point is this. Let's continue in verse 15. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. So we see here that the Israelites have come to Pharaoh pleading their case, right? Crying out to Pharaoh. What's Pharaoh's response? Verse 17. But he said, you are idle. In other words, you are lazy. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily tasks each day. So we see here in this passage that is when things go hard, when things get rough, the Israelites. What do they do? These foremen. What do they do? They first go to Pharaoh. To what? They cry out to Pharaoh. And what is their crying out met with? No mercy. No compassion. Go work. You're being lazy. Right? It's interesting that word cry to cry out to Pharaoh. That same word is used. A couple chapters earlier, when the Lord tells Moses, I have heard the cry of my people and I want to go save them. In other words, what we see is that the Pharaoh, when he hears the cries of the Israelites, he has no mercy. But when the Lord hears, he has a broken heart, he is compassionate, and he wants to do something to help them. You see, the Israelites went. To the Pharaoh who oppressed them before they went to the Lord who loved them. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we too have a tendency to go to everything else before the Lord. When things go rough in your life, let me ask you, who do you run to first? What do you look to to save you? Is it your money? Is it other people? Or for a lot of us, it's even ourselves. Like we got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. I, if I only I work, grind it out, work harder, more hours, then everything was going to be okay. But that is not the case. You see here, the Lord wanted them to come to him. Then what happens? Verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. As they came out from Pharaoh... And they said to them, Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. So the Israelites return to Moses and Aaron. What do they tell them? Look, you, like, you are the reason we're going to die. It says you made us a stink. This is the stink of death. You put it literally, you put the sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill us. In other words, the Israelites condemn Moses and Aaron. They reject them. They reject their leadership. They reject their leadership. This brings me to my second point and the second kind of opposition. Our obedience to God will meet opposition from others. Our obedience to God will meet opposition from others. Has the fear of other people's opinion or even their rejection ever dissuaded you from obeying God? Have you been so afraid of other people's opinion? that you chose not to obey God. This is how some of us live our lives. Aristotle says this, to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. And for some of us, we, that's what we do. We say nothing, we do nothing, we be nothing. That's why we don't do anything. So much, some of us care so much about other people's criticisms. We are paralyzed by a fear from doing what God has called us to do. But let me tell you something. When you're following the Lord, you will be called to do something which will receive opposition from others. It's not a matter of if you will be cr- criticized. You will be criticized. The question is whose opinion matters most to you. The question is not... If you will be criticized, the question is, whose opinion matters the most to you? I mean, think about, read through this, the, the story of scripture. You look at Noah. Noah built an ark for like 100 years. He's built, can you imagine, if you saw Noah, what would you think? You'd think he's crazy, right? 100 years he's working on the same thing. Or you guys notice uh, Jesus. You guys notice this. Every single time Jesus tries to help somebody, every single time he tries to help somebody in need, he, he gets what? He gets criticism from other people. He gets accusations put on him. If you're trying to follow the Lord, you will receive criticism from others. So the question then for you is, is opposition from others hindering your obedience to God? Is opposition from others hindering your obedience to God? Let's move to the last I'm going to let that one sit, okay? Uh, Let's move to the last kind of opposition. Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. The last kind of opposition you will face when you're trying to obey God is the opposition from within yourself. It's the opposition from within yourself. How many of y'all know you can be your worst enemy? Have you ever tried listening to your, the voices in your head about yourself? Either you're going to sound like the greatest saint ever or the worst sinner. Why was Moses facing opposition from within himself? First reason, criticism from others. We just talked about it, right? Criticism from others. I can't help but wonder if this incident here with the Israelites triggered for Moses' his trauma from 40 years back. You guys remember the story? Moses killed an Egyptian to save the uh, uh, Israelite slave. And then when he then goes to the Israelites, they say, hey, who are you? Do you think you're some sort of prince or something? Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? And what happens? He runs away in shame for 40 years, y'all. To hide out in the wilderness. He ran. He was isolated. Some of you guys have, have places and people you're running from right now because of the shame in your heart. But the Lord calls him back, and the first thing that happens is he's rejected again, all over again, by the people that he cares about. I can't help but wonder what kind of guilt, what kind of burden, what kind of shame, what kind of embarrassment must... Have been going on in Moses' heart right now. The second reason why Moses uh, faces opposition from self is that is this. There was a gap between Moses' expectation of how things should be and the reality, God's reality of what God, of God's plan, what he was doing. There was a gap. Right? There was a gap. I remember for me. There's a gap right now that even now I'm facing. For the last two and a half years, my family and I have been house hunting, y'all. As soon as I said house hunting, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Right? I can't tell you, for week upon week, like we're trying to find a house in our target area to reach lost people and we're praying to God and we're praying as a family. like Every night we're going, God, please answer our prayer. Like, may it be this one. We're putting in five or six offers every single week. Man, I'm, I'm writing those letters. I don't have money, y'all. I just got to be honest. I don't have money. But what I, one thing I can do is I can write a letter and put my kids' pictures on it. right? I can talk about, hey, guys, we are hoping that your house will be an answer to prayer. Right? Uh, we're doing, I'm doing all sorts of stuff. I'm looking at the pictures and I'm going, I, saw, I see a cross here. I see a cross. Hey, the other week, uh, I saw a George Mueller picture praying. Some of you guys don't know who, who that is. Some of you guys do. I was like, this is an answer to prayer. I grew up with a George Mueller picture at my house, right? And, uh, but every single time, disappointment. Every single time, there's a gap between what I expected to happen because it makes sense. Versus the reality of God's plan, there's going to be a gap, y'all. For you, if you're trying to obey God, there's going to be a gap. The question is then, what are you filling this gap with? Are you going to to fill that gap with bitterness? Are you going to fill that gap with doubt? That's that's what Moses does here. He doubts God's plan. We see this here in verse twenty-two and twenty-three. Moses doubted God's goodness. He says, "You have done this evil." You have done this, uh, in, in the Hebrew, this disaster. You have brought disaster upon us. Second, Moses doubted God's ability. He says, you have not delivered us at all. Are you powerless? Why haven't you saved us? And lastly, Moses doubts his own calling. He says, why did you ever send me? Why did you call me to do this? Have any of you, in your, in your weakest moments, have, have any of you ever doubted God's goodness God's ability, or even God's calling for you? If I'm being honest with you, I have. The temptation comes when we face this opposition, even through church planting. So our obedience to God will meet opposition from self. If that's you today, here's what I wanna tell you. When you take a radical step of faith for God, See, your radical obedience will reveal your deepest insecurities. Your radical, chew on that for a little bit. Reflect on that a little bit. When you take a a radical step of of obedience, it will bring out your, your deepest insecurities. I imagine like Peter who takes a step out onto the water to walk on water. And it's okay while he's in the boat. He's all confident. But as soon as he takes that step of faith to get in the water, he's got nothing else to hold on to. He's got no security. All he has is Jesus. Some of you in this room, you're in that step now. You have taken that step of faith. And you're feeling anxious. Because all you got is Jesus. The question is, is Jesus enough for you? The question is, do you trust him to care for you? You see, when this thing happened with, between, in my family with Eliana's ho- hospitalization, uh, my, my wife was with Eliana at the hospital because there was a COVID policy where only one parent could be there. So it was just me and the other kids at home, in all our anxiety, in all my worry, I'm dreaming, or not dreaming, but I'm, I'm scared about having nightmares about the, the bill that's about to come out. I'm scared about my, uh, my daughter and her health situation, and I, I feel like everything's out of my control. And so I just pray, God, I don't know what you're doing in this situation, but can you show yourself? Would you show me that you're there? Oh, it was a Sunday, we're having worship, and and you're watching it on video. And I, I gotta tell you, I had such a hard time worshiping because I was so lost in my feelings of doubt. Maybe some of you guys can resonate. Have you ever come in on a Sunday and you just have a hard time worshiping with other people? Because you're struggling. Around 30 minutes later, I get a phone call from one of the elders of the church. And he says, by the way, I haven't told anybody at that point what was happening. He calls me and says, Dave, during worship today, I felt like the Lord was telling me to call you. And ask if there's anything I can do to help you. And just say yes to whatever you ask. What's going on? And so I told him the situation with my family, and he goes, hey, you know what, Dave? I'm, I'm going to first help you out. Uh, here, come pick up $5,000. We got you. You're, you're going to be taken care of. Listen, uh, I did, at that point, I didn't know what's going to happen next. I didn't know what the medical bill cost will be. I didn't know what the next situation will be. Nothing had changed in terms of that. But I'll tell you one thing that did change. My heart. Because for me in that moment, taking that step of radical obedience, being out there, I realized God is with me. He hasn't left me alone. He's there for me. And that's all I need. That's all I need. And I felt like the Lord was telling me, look, Dave, you can't plant this church in your own strength. You can't make this happen. You can't save enough money. You can't raise enough money. You can't do nothing. Only I can build the church. And what you got to know is this be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God and I am enough and I'm for you. That's what I needed to hear y'all. So today we have talked about three kinds of oppositions opposition from the enemy. Opposition from others, and opposition from even within ourselves. So, what do we do then when we face these opposition? Uh, real quick, first point, first application: we return to God's presence. We return to God's presence. See, unlike the Pharaoh who rejected God and the Israelites who first ran to Pharaoh instead of God, Moses does one thing right. With all, even despite of all of his, all his mistakes, he goes to the Lord with his problems. First Peter. says, cast all your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Church, God cares for you. Do you really believe that? I'm not talking about God cares for the crowd. I'm talking about each one of you. He cares for you. Do you trust him enough to cast all your anxieties upon him? Second, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. In what ways is God faithful? Well, here what we see throughout the text is God is faithful to his promises. You see, Moses, this, uh, Pharaoh's response caught Moses by surprise, but God was not, not surprised, y'all. In fact, in chapter 3, again, a couple of ch- chapters ahead, he says in verse 18, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of the Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So, again, it's the same, right? But get this, verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do to it. After that, he will let you go. See, Moses was surprised. But all he had to do was remember what the Lord just said. The Lord told him, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to take place, and I will be faithful. God has never surprised y'all. He is faithful to his word, and we can trust him. You see, for me, God took that, that trial, that situation with Eliana, and he took that trial, and he made that into our testimony. Every single time we face opposition, every single time we face trial, every single time we are quick to forget, we remember how God was faithful. And we remember his grace. What are the things that God has done in your life that you can remember, that you can look back on to remember his faithfulness to you, his grace to you? He is there for you. Lastly, recommit to God's plan. Recommit to God's plan. For those of you who have been Christians here for a minute, what you see here is that even when the Israelites couldn't see God's plan, God was always working for their good, for their freedom, and for their flourishing. Can you imagine if, if when Moses faced this opposition, if he just chose to give up? He's like, "I didn't sign up for this. This is too hard. I'm I'm out." What would have happened to the Israelites? Now for you, if Jesus chose, when Jesus chose to obey God and faced opposition, and he said, man, I didn't sign up for this, this is too hard, I'm out. What would have happened to us, church? We will face opposition in our lives. The question is not whether we face opposition or not. The question is, will we be like Jesus, who said yes? Will we do the same thing? Listen, obedience is not just a one-time decision. Obedience is an ongoing lifestyle for us as believers. This is how we're going to be more like Jesus in our day-to-day life. So for those of you who are followers of Jesus, maybe for a while you have been straying. Maybe for for a while you have been uh, saying no to God in in some area of your life. That you haven't let uh, something go, maybe. Or maybe you haven't said yes to what he's calling you to do. If that's you, I want to ask you, I want to urge you, brothers and sisters, to recommit to God's plan. Say yes to him. He's got you. And for others of you who do not know God yet, one, we are so grateful and honored that you're here here to our church. We are so honored that you're here. I want to tell you this. Even if you may not feel like you know God, God knows you. God cares for you. He's known you since the beginning. And his plan for you is for your good and for your flourishing. He loves you. How do we know this? Jesus Christ, the scriptures describe him as the true and greater Moses. Jesus Christ chose to commit himself to obeying God's plan, to lay down his very life, even at the cost, even while experiencing the worst kind of pain, the worst kind of death. Why? so that you could experience freedom in him. You see, because Moses said yes, the Israelites were freed from slavery to Egypt. And because Jesus said yes, you and I can be free from slavery to sin. You and I can receive a gift of life, a new identity, a new community, a new hope, no matter what we're going through. That's what Jesus wants to offer you today. He believes that you are worth it. And so he persevered through all sorts of opposition for you. And so if that's you, if you feel the Spirit of God stirring your heart, I want to invite you to say yes. If that's you, after service, or after we, we're finished praying, there's going to be pastors here down the front who would love, who would be honored to pray with you. Please do not leave here today without responding to him. The Lord is calling you home. Let's pray together, church. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are reminded of the greatness of your faithfulness. God, nothing catches you by surprise. And when we choose to say yes to you, God, we will face opposition in this life. You will take us, carry us through the valley of death. But God, we also do not need to fear any evil because you are with us. God, I don't know what my brothers and sisters here in this room, are, what's going on in their lives, but I do pray that if there's any person here that's discouraged, any person in here who's doubting, any person who needs that encouragement, that your spirit would pour your love into their hearts, that in the midst of their pain and the trial, that they would be reminded of the God who cares for them and that they would be encouraged by you directly, Lord. We pray all this, and all God's people said, amen.